Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 29 of the J Situation podcast. I'm recording this on September 1st, 2020. You guys miss me? I was gone for a week, so I had to do it. There was no way around it. After vacation, I went directly into the field for full-scale testing. And although I had planned to do a podcast last week with uh, one of my colleagues, our 14-hour days <laughs> prevented that from being a reality. Um, if we were to perform at our best um, for our test program that we did, uh, this was not Pew Science related. This was other stuff, other research. And so we kind of had to be on our A game. We, we just didn't have time to, to do this stuff. That's okay. We decided to postpone. We will do one. Um, that gentleman... Uh, does a lot of combustion research, so it should be a cool, should be a cool talk. Um, still going to have him on the podcast, and I think it's going to be awesome and informative for a lot of you folks. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Now, it is kind of crazy, man. How is it already September? Um, it's both pretty cool and pretty scary to me, <laughs> considering that means we only have a few months left in 2020. I guess I'm getting a little bit of apprehension because of the goals I want to achieve by the end of the year, professionally, you know, and personally, but also because of COVID, <laughs> the elections, et cetera, you know, like all these, like, et cetera type stuff. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a crazy year end and we're not out of the woods yet. And so um, I'm getting this like little baseline anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's in the noise a little bit, but I'm feeling it. So I'm kind of like, you know, it's like keeping me on my toes, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, man. But look, I don't want to be like belabor um, the, the unpleasantness uh, of the current year. It's not really, you know, let's, hey, let's get back on track with some positivity. Let's talk about some guns. It'll be cool. All right. I want you to be able to relax and have some fun when you listen to this. I don't want you thinking about all the bad stuff. <laughs> so today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Pew Science, pushing the silencer industry forward one test at a time. Visit PewScience.com for the suppression rating, the simplest and most accurate hearing safe ratings for your suppressed small arms. Remember, always remember, not only is the rating letting you know how silencers stack up in comparison to one another, it's actually giving you a hearing safe dose limit for the particular platforms on which they are tested in every review. If you haven't checked it out at PewScience.com, you should. You're not going to find that type of information anywhere else, uh, I promise. Uh, I've looked for it. So that's why I'm doing it. It's there. It's free for you. However, you can. If you so choose, support this podcast, Pew Science, and our testing by joining at PewScience.com and also by rating the podcast five stars on iTunes so that iTunes and the general public will realize that silencers and guns are awesome. <laughs> I really do think it's working. I promise. It's awesome. Like I think the community is really getting it, which is, which is sweet. I've got five topics for you today. The first one, field loadout for short day excursions at the ranch. When I say at the ranch, it's kind of where I go. It's a, it's a ranch, it's awesome. That's the picture I posted today, we'll talk about that. Uh, second topic, 
just shot the 300 blackout mini fix and the full size 308 fix I built. They're nice. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, a little bit of ins and outs. Third topic, speaking to the mini fix, I tell you what, gonna pivot directly into some 300 blackout testing very soon, like really soon. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Topic four, there is an upcoming data release this week. A new review is coming and a uh, member research supplement. So you're going to get two things. Super cool. Topic five, Pew Science is growing, which is all one could hope for. And we've noticed that the membership is loyal and aggressive. And that's just how we like it. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about that. Okay, let's get into the first topic. First topic, field loadout for short day excursions. You know, over the years my my loadout changes but i tell you what i'm zoning in on one that i really like right now and since i got a new gun it's kind of working its way into the rotation so let's talk about this so i was i was only at the ranch for a short time recently um but i did pack a typical loadout like if i had some free time which i ended up having like zero free time until the end until i had to leave but you know just in, in case i was thinking just in case i had some time during the day to go out and explore, knowing that at night there was no freaking way I was gonna have time to go night hunting because I was just too dang tired. Um, I know a lot of you are like, oh, you didn't go. It's like, listen, like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're working, you can't, there's not always time or energy for that. So, recently got the mini fix, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but last week I still hadn't received the Scalar Works mount for the scope that I wanted to put on the gun. And so I had some old lightweight night force rings on it, right? Didn't want to bother sighting in the gun because I knew I was, you know, knowing that I was I was going to change the mount, like why am I going to sight this in? Like it's like a bunch of energy. So in the photo you can see the scope mounted um, on the mini fix now with the with the new mount, a scalar works mount. Um, the scope is, is a Vortex Razor HD, one of those one to six models. Um, this one's a, it's it, it's not, um, I guess the, the first focal plane, it's, 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 the, it's the one where when you zoom in, the reticle um, graduations or gradations, the, the gap, like the different delineations on the, on the reticle, they represent a distance that is not constant at all magnification levels, okay? So this is like, so they call this an SFP, an FFP. So you're, you know, it's gonna, it's a cheaper scope, okay? It, 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 but hey, I think, I think I'm fine with that for this particular scope, especially considering it was free. <laughs> I actually, and you know, hey, this was a weird situation where, um, I actually, I won this in a giveaway. It was one of those things where like, if you enter and put your email address and all these things and you get spammed with all this stuff, you might win. I was like, okay, let me enter. I'm, I never win anything. I was like, yeah, sure. Well, guess what? I, not only did I win the scope, I won this whole freaking rifle that was Cerakoted with the scope. It had, you know, every, I mean, it's an 18 inch AR-15. It was like a Hanson barrel no, yeah, Ballistic Advantage Hansen Barrel, Hansen Series Barrel or something like that. 
Anyway, the rifle ended up not working as well. I think they built it wrong. I'm not gonna even gonna. I'm not even gonna say who did it because then it'll be a whole thing. Anyway, it was free. I'm not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. The point, the, the in the mouth. The 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 point is, <laughs> the point is here. The scope is on the minifix, okay, and uh, it was free. So hey, I don't sell guns. I still have that gun. I may or may not have taken the gun apart to use some parts. Hey, it's my business. I want it fair and square. I tell you what. I was thinking this 1 to 6 scope might be perfect for the minifix given the cartridge. All right? 1 to 6, I'm not shooting out to, you know, 300 yards with a dang 300 blackout. I'm not trying to be a hero here with subsonic and stuff. So, I'm thinking 1 to 6, you know, hey, might be pretty good. Haven't zeroed it yet, but I think it's going to be right. It's nice. It's got the illuminated center dot. You know, you can turn the dial, you know, you, you, you pull the, the left dial out, you turn it, clicks into the illuminated center dot. I'm a big fan of that. The only thing, the only thing I don't like about the Vortex is the weight. Um, I feel like it should be lighter for how small it is. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't talk about things like that when it comes to optics, but the Minifix is such a light little gun it, I, I, I'm of the opinion that I think it would be cool to have a super light scope on it, especially considering the extremely low recoil of 300 blackout, right? So like, you're not really looking for a heavy platform. You're not trying to resist recoil. You're carrying it around a lot. You want it to be handy. You want the whole thing to be light. You know what I mean? And so there, there really isn't a real reason to have a lot of weight on the gun. And so that, that's why I bring up the weight of the Vortex. It's not like it's too heavy to carry, it's just, to me, I don't think the scope matches the gun. I just don't think it does. I think it deserves a different scope, and that's something I might be looking for. But right now, I'm going with what I have. I don't think there's a reason to buy another scope. Um, I thought about doing that. I, I think it's. I think that would be stupid. I think it'd be a waste of money. I think uh, I'm going to be a good steward of uh, what I won in that giveaway, and uh, I'm going put to it, put it to use. <laughs> I didn't really see the point in having a 1-6 to six on a freaking 18-inch uh, barrel 5.56. Anyway, that was... Interesting choice that they did. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so I put the Vortex in the Scalar Works mount. This is their Leap mount. Um, I actually just bought two of these mounts. Just, you know, purchased them personally. That's kind of just what I do. Uh, I put one on the Minifix. So the one I put on there has a 30 millimeter um, inner diameter for the rings. And so that's the same tube diameter as the Vortex scope. And then I put the other one I bought on the full size 308 fix. So that one I put on has a 34 millimeter tube uh, inner ring diameter. And that is um, for the, the, the other scope I have. We'll talk about that gun a little bit in a little bit later. But so basically, you know, when you buy scope mounts, you gotta say, oh, well, you know, you gotta look at how big your scope is and, and by how big it is, you need to look at the diameter of the tube, um, the outer tube of the scope where you're gonna mount the rings. And you know, some, some scopes are weird and they're not gonna work with some mount you might want and vice versa. Like some mounts are weird and they're not gonna, they're not gonna work with your favorite scope. And so, you know, I just lucked out that I had um, a scope that the leap mount was offered in sizing four, which was cool. Wow, that was a messy sentence. 
all kinds of prepositions in the wrong place. That's fine. What I'm trying to say, <laughs> I got two mounts and they're cool. They're pretty cool. Um, they seem to work well, but they aren't perfect. Okay, they, I'm here to tell you, these are not perfect. One of the huge gimmicks, okay, I'm gonna call it a gimmick. I'm just gonna say, it's not really a gimmick in that they're being dishonest, but I will say it's a big selling point that they really play up. Um, and that point is that there's an aluminum set screw, it's red. It's an anodized aluminum set screw in the base of the mount. And it allows you to level the scope by screwing up the set screw until it touches the flat bottom of the scope, all right, it engages the bottom. And then after the surface area of the top of that set screw, that, that top of that cylinder, it's flat, right? After that is engaged onto the scope bottom, you can verify level of the scope and then proceed to tighten down the ring screws, okay? So what you're doing is you're, you're forcing mechanically a flat set screw against a flat surface of the, the bottom of the scope and your hope is that that is going to mate and those two surfaces will be parallel and because the set screw is perfectly perpendicular or orthogonal to the base of the scope mount and therefore your Picatinny rail, the scope will then index upon the flat part of the set screw, thus also being perfectly perpendicular or orthogonal to the set screw and then you know, because the two planes would be parallel, in theory, you would then have a level scope, in theory. Okay, sound good? Hey, it sounded good to me. Their marketing clearly worked on me. I mean, <laughs> I bought them, I bought two of them. So um, after that, you can then, you, you know, you tighten the, the ring screws and you can play with the whole the, the, the set screw during that operation. Now, hey, I'll tell you what, the issue with this issue with this is that as you tighten down the ring screws even if you hold the ring the rings close tightly as you begin to tighten the screws the scope will actually shift a little bit okay that's just the nature of what you're doing you're 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 clamping but you're you're not able you're not going to be able to hold those perfectly as you clamp and so it, the, the scope's going to shift, and so to prevent this, you really need you're you're either going to need to really clamp down on those rings as you tighten them, which I discovered through investigation. This actually was not mentioned in their instructions, which is fine. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not dumb. I'm not going to just like blame. I'm not going to blame their lack of instructions for like something I'm discovering during the process. Like that's, it's not their fault. This is like, this is fine. This is, you know, sometimes you gotta learn on the job here. But you're either gonna have to do that or you're gonna have to tighten that set screw way more than you would think you would need to tighten it so that it's really forcing that thing, it's forcing your scope rock solid stable. You, you feel me? But when it does that, it's forcing it against the upper ring. I mean, that's how it's resisting. So. Uh, does this make sense? Like, you, I almost want to draw you a picture, but this is not a visual element right now. So you're just gonna have to like use your your mind's eye. Um. So if you tighten the set screw more than you would think you need to tighten it, all right? Let's say you do that. Well, as a result, 
after you do your typical like your lug nut style alternating torque tightening of the screws, you know, like you do one, then you do the alternating one, then you do the other alternating one, then you do the other side, because you're like trying to evenly clamp something without putting undue torque differential on different like geometric parts of the mount, you understand what I'm saying? Like that's like, when, you know, like when you freaking, when you freaking tighten the lug nuts on your car or your truck, you don't like go in a circle, right? You go in like a star pattern so that you can ensure that you're not gonna hang up one side and then you got some weird thing in your wheel, well, all of a you die. You don't wanna die. So, and you don't, wanna, you, and you don't want your scope to come loose. So you wanna do this in an alternating way. Um, and so, after you're done doing that and you're, you're all snug and you're all, you think you're all good, well then you gotta un, unscrew that set screw in the bottom of the dang mount. Well, what have you been doing the whole time? If well, every time you've been tightening your ring screws, your ring clamp screws, it's been minutely trying to rotate your scope along the longitudinal, like around the longitudinal axis, right? Because you're clamping this scope with a side clamp and you have your, you know what I mean? And so it's, when you clamp, it wants to, it wants to rotate because there's no way it can, because it, it's like a side clamp pivot mount and it's not coming straight in from the side, just like it's not coming straight in from the top if it were a top mount. So it's, there is a differential in clamping geometry. There just is, unless, like I said at the beginning, you are forcing that closed by hand hard and then you tighten. So I, I know this, I'm like really beating this, I feel like I'm like going super in depth here, but these amounts are expensive. And so I want to explain to you exactly what can happen. So you're doing that and then you go to unscrew your set screw. And because you're, you've been for slowly forcing that thing to slightly rotate like fractions of a degree, you're going to try to unscrew that set screw. And I tell you what, it's going to be hard to unscrew it. And then you're going to be like, oh shoot, am I going to break? Like something going to break? Like, what am I doing? Like, am I, like, this is not normal, okay? Because the set screw is now, it's almost bound up, or it is bound up, because what you've done, you've induced an angle cant on the scope, and there's so much normal force, meaning there's so much impingement force now on that set screw that the, the friction force is so high that when you try to unscrew it, it's going to bind. So... The manual that ScalarWorks provides, which is just a little card that comes with this, it's just a little pictorial card. It says, um, it, it warns you, do not over tighten the set screw. Like, okay, cool, roger that, bro. Like, I'm totally not going to. You told me not to, I'm not gonna over tighten it. But what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, that's not a quantitative limit, it's a qualitative limit. It's like, don't over tighten. So what does over tighten? Okay, so in using common sense, you would actually not tighten it enough in my opinion. So if you, like what I did, I read the instructions and then I went to do this and I was like, well, shoot, I don't want to over tighten it. Well, so I didn't tighten it that much. So when I didn't tighten that much, what, what, what happened? Well, the freaking, the freaking scope uh, became not level. You know how I know that? Well, cause I, I put a level in the freaking thing. What I did is I put the, I put the freaking scope on a Picatinny rail stub. I'm sorry, the, so the scope mount with the scope mounted in it on a Picatinny rail stub 
because you can't just put this on a flat surface because it has those little uh, the Picatinny clamps, which we'll get to in a second. So you can't, it doesn't lay flat. So I put it on a rail. I happen to put it on the little, uh, the little rail, rail stub that comes with the fixed rifles that they provide with the Q-cert stuff. They give you these little Picatinny rail stubs to do for, to use for different things you want to use them for. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I put a clamp, I, I just, I set the rail. It doesn't spend the whole thing. So I set the rail on one of those and then I placed that entire assembly or I, I mean, I set the scope mount on one of those little rails I set, and I put the entire assembly on like a granite countertop, which was verified to be level with my, with a freaking torpedo level. And then I leveled the scope and I was like, hmm, hmm, my scope's not level, even though the set screw's tight. Hmm. How about that? It was tight. It was level when I tightened the set screw, but then I freaking tightened the, the clamp, the, the ring clamps, and then it became not level and the set screw was even tighter. So what did that mean? It meant that the whole process that just happened, that I just explained to you happened, where you, you, can't, you canted. So hey, long story short, the mounting system and the internal leveling device screw thing is cool. It's cool. It, but look, I had to check mine with a level several times. So I don't think it's going to be as easy as you see described in these YouTube videos, guys. Like, it, I, I mean, it's just not. I mean, maybe it'll work better for you. Maybe it depends on the scope diameter. Maybe it depends on the scope material. Maybe it depends on your luck. Um, I think YouTube reviewers, honestly, are sometimes a little too soft on stuff like this. I think sometimes they get sent stuff and they review it nicely because they're sent they're sent the stuff. That's what I think. Because guess what? They receive product for reviews and stuff. Well, guess what? I bought both these mounts for full retail price. Okay, that's 800 bucks, man, because these both cost $400. So that's $800 of my own money just to like try something that I thought was going to be cool. So... Everything I'm telling you right now, like this is not an advertisement for ScalarWorks, dude. This is like me buying ScalarWorks mounts and then sharing with you my firsthand experience about them. <laughs> All right. You know, the funny, the funny thing about that is that I had reached out to them when I bought them. I was so excited. I was so excited. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. I can tell you put so much engineering time into these, blah, 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 blah. I was like totally like fanboying out, right? But hey. I'm not saying they're bad mounts, but here's where it gets interesting. Uh, after you do get the mount set up, boy, do they feel solid, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm actually really liking them so far. The way they attached the, Picky, the Picatinny rail, now that, that's the part, uh, I don't know. I would say, yeah, I think I'm going to say, it. that's the part that I think is worth the money is the mounting part. You use your hand, you just like your fingers to, to tighten the two screws. It's actually really, really cool. You tighten these screws, all, and there's only two, and you do it in an alternating fashion, and there's little ball detents, right? And it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mess up your gun's rail. You tighten as much as you can, hand tight, and it, it exerts enough clamping force to be fine and not move. Um, you don't have to worry about torque. I like it. That alone to me, like even if it didn't have the, the leveling screw at all and you had to level this yourself, um, like without any assistance, I would still think these are cool, okay? So, I mean, was I seduced a little bit by the leveling screw function? 
Absolutely, I was. Can you level a scope without that? Uh, yeah, we've been doing that for like decades. So, of course you can. <laughs> okay, that's what levels are for. You know how to use a, a freaking bubble level, dude. Like, if you don't know how to use a bubble level, hey, not everyone has tools. That's cool. But you need to learn that stuff because, like, you're a man or a woman if you're listening. So, hey, you know, freaking learn how to use, use your tools. I mean, let's let's be real here, guys. Now, again, not having to worry about torque on the Pictini rail is awesome. It's not going to mark up your gun, which is awesome. Uh, the weight, that's another thing that I think is worth the money on these. For the type of mount it is, that'll, you know, it's kind of a forward camp mount with a, you know, it's, it's level, but it, it kind of projects the, the optic forward on the rail. Um, it seems to be secure. Um, it's for all intents and purposes, QD, it's light. And the weight being light is another way of saying that I like the structural design because it's strong and stiff due to its geometry. Okay, because it couldn't be it couldn't be light and work without being designed well. That's like one of, one of the hallmarks of a really well engineered system is it being lightweight and still accomplishing the task. Like not all the time, but a lot of the time, and that's just like a structural thing. Which hey. I can tell you that just from experience being a structural engineer. So there you go. Now, I don't want to turn this episode into a mount review more than I already have. But I did want to give you some feedback on this particular mount, the, the Leap mount, because, hey, I bought them and some folks wanted to know how I liked them. And so I'll give you, I'll give you updates after, as I have more time with them. And that way you, you can, you know, follow along with me and all my money that I dump into all this crap. Now, the scope is sitting on the mini fix. We'll talk about that next. The silencer I have on the mini fix right now in the picture is the energetic armament Vox. Uh, it is, it does not have the wipe, the wipe in there. It has just the regular end cap, no wipe. That's, you know, it is what it is right there. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna put my rugged radiant on the mini fix for that trip but I didn't have another M2 muzzle brake mount, and I wanted to keep the muzzle brake mount on my 308 fix. And since the only mount I have for the Vox is the 5 8 inch by 24 threads per inch titanium direct thread mount that it comes with, um, I said, hey, that's perfect. I'll just put that on the mini fix, you know, fine. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Um, you can see that in the picture, I don't know if you can tell you, I think you can tell in the photo that because the mini fix has a tapered barrel, I had to use the little tapered to 90, sh 90 degree shoulder adapter thingy that Q makes. It's basically a little washer shim thing. Um, it's a machine, it's, it's, it's machined, um, which is what you want. Cause you know, the tolerances are nice. And what you do, what you do, you put that on there and it has the tape. It one one side of it is tapered, so it fits with the tapered barrel, nice and nice and geometrically great. And then the other side is flat, like a 90-degree shoulder for a barrel would be. Um, and then you can put any 90-degree shoulder type of conventional muzzle device on this tapered barrel. It's fine. Um, when I built the guns, I, I asked if I could include those little 
adapter thingies on both of my guns because the mini fix is the 300 blackout test mule first of all so it's going to have silencers from every manufacturer on it so the only time the tapered barrel will be used as intended um, like direct to silencer um, is is with silencers that possess the the female taper right so that's either going to be like silencers from sig um silencers from q like the the, the full nelson the half nelson um the hyperion from cgs like the hyperion k from cgs has has the taper mount um or even the like the trash panda and the thunder shaker from q for example they have that cherry bomb so you can use a cherry bomb although a cherry bomb can use, be used on a 90 degree shoulder in fact i can use it with even with these little adapters I could also take that adapter off and the cherry bomb taper would then match the barrel taper on Q, on the Q thing and then I wouldn't even need to like Loctite it or torque it that hard because it would be taper to taper. Um, it would, therefore, it would actually be possible to put a cherry bomb on the minifix and then I could test other 30 caliber silencers with a plan B mount from Q, right? But that's not something I'm gonna do. That's, I mean, I'm not, well, let me rephrase. It's not something I really want to do unless we are specifically testing the behavior of the plan B. I want to test silencers with their native mounts so folks will know what to expect from the silencers as they come from manufacturers. Like that's what you want, right? That seems reasonable. I think everyone would agree with that. So that's why I haven't, that's why there is that 90 degree shoulder adapter on there and it is a, therefore a universal barrel, okay? So I'll tell you what, a little bit of a spoiler for you. So if I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a little spoiler here. I shot three rounds of SNB subs through this setup, okay, one night. Just wanted to show my coworkers, um, two of the guys, they, they had never seen a silenced firearm before. These, these particular dudes, they're just, they're not, one of them's a gun guy, he's not really a gun guy. Let me, this one guy's a, like a hunt, he's like a dove hunter and a deer hunter, like that's it, like that's his, gun experience and the other dude had like never even seen anything like this in his life like and so i was like hey this is a cool opportunity to show like they asked me like i was super tired they're like dude like so like do you have some cool guns with you and i was like yeah dude let's let's go shoot a gun so i pulled out the minifix and they were like whoa you know they're like super like this is cool and then um we shot three rounds from that and uh, these guys, not only had they never seen a gun like this, they had never heard a silenced weapon before in their life. I tell you what, I have obviously heard a lot of silenced guns. And I'm tell you what, the first round pop was significant out of this setup with that ammo. Um, it was definitely comfortable to my ears. There was no discomfort at all. Um, so I was, I want to give that, I want to give that qualification to you. We were shooting, I'm trying to give you some background of like the environment. It was on a kind of a gravel base um i'm trying to think of the diameter or the radius that was unoccluded from reflection i want to say we had at least 20 meters 10 meters maybe around us radially um, there was a tree line that I was shooting into, so we could have gotten some, could have gotten some sound reflection off of the tree line. That's a, that is definitely a possibility. Um, when I'm saying, talking about the loudness, 
these are subsonic, but it was like I was hearing definite, not shockwave necessarily. I was hearing, I mean, look, I didn't meter it, but I'm trying to like qualitatively describe a sound signature to you. And that was not quiet to me. Um, it was not ninja quiet. I suspect it was a combination of a couple things that result that, that caused that sound, that particular sound signature. Um, the first was the, the ammunition being relatively loud 300 black gun ammunition. Um, the SMB stuff that I think has a reputation for that. And also the Vox S the, the Vox silencer I have is, is short. It's not a big silencer. So, you know, it's not gonna work magic here. And so we're going to see, we're, we shall see when I test when I test it. I'm going to test it. You'll see the dang results of this. Now, the great thing about bolt gun testing is that it really allows you to isolate a lot of variables. Okay, very good test platform. Um, I've shot three rounds through that gun. That's three. <laughs> I tell you what, I shot three rounds through the gun, and then I ran a boar snake through it, and I put it away. Okay, so far the gun's awesome. <laughs> I'll keep you updated on it. Okay, we're gonna look soon. I'm gonna shoot more through it than than is reasonable. That gun is going to get shot so much in testing, like not for fun, but just for testing, that it will probably. Okay, I would venture to guess that that mini fix that I own is probably going to be one of the most shot mini fixes ever made. Okay, so if there's if there's a problem with that gun with anything, you're you're gonna know because I'm gonna I'm gonna be shooting this gun like it's well it's hey it's literally my job, <laughs> so I'm gonna shoot the mini fix like it's my job for you, and you're so so trust me if uh, like if you if you're looking to buy a mini fix like I don't even know if you like I don't even know how I did that like I went up to Q, can you I guess you could order one I don't know how it works I guess you could back order it from their website I don't. I don't really keep track of that type of stuff, but I know that some people are interested in the gun. So if you want to know more about it and you have any questions about it, um, I am going to be spending a lot of time with the platform um, just because, hey, it's an eight inch 300 blackout one and five twist. And so it's going to be just like my Savage, my Savage Model 10 Precision Carbine. That actually has um, five R rifling, one in 11 and a quarter twist. For example, that 20-inch 308 that, that you see in the Pew Science reviews for three, supersonic 308. I'm very familiar with the Savage. The Savage has an AccuTrigger. It has an Accu stock. The AccuTrigger is, while good, can be extremely bad. Uh, it, can, it can malfunction. Uh, you have to know what you're doing with that. Um, I know everything about that rifle. I mean, I've killed every deer with it that I've ever shot. Um, so like just like the Savage, now this, this mini fix, I'm going to know everything about it too. Like that's like what happens every time I own a gun, I know everything about the gun. Like I use it so much that it's going to be like an extension of me. So let me know what you want to know and I'll tell you. The gun's light. Um, and like I said before, I, I think I want a lighter scope. Um, those are my thoughts right now. Like those are my thoughts right now on that setup. I think... I think the rugged radiant that I, cause you know, I always talk about the radiant cause I own one, right? Like it's easy for me to talk about it to like use it. So I, I, ha I have that like personally on form four. I think the rugged radiant is a cool possibility maybe for the gun, for my personal use. Cause of the, cause of the weight and the length, 
meaning that I think it's going to be quiet for its, for its weight. Um, the full Nelson, I, oh man, should I even, I, I got a, I, I, I bought a used one. <laughs> I bought a used full Nelson, like a demo unit. Like I got a really good, like, because I was like, well, dang, like I was talking with, um, with some folks, some other manufacturers that shoot subsonic ammunition subsonic 300 blackout and one of them told me they were like dude i have a full nelson and it's like the quietest freaking 300 blackout silencer i've ever shot and i was like really cool i was like i haven't tested it so i was like all right man i trust you um and there's like a demo unit available and so it was, it's gonna be a form four so i'm gonna have to wait forever but like i was like hey like i'll totally buy a used silencer like i'm cool with that and so like the price was like stupid like it was like almost free to me so i was like all right so yeah i bought one of those so that might be something in the future i use um like i've talked about before the cgs hyperion k um like all these these silencers i'm mentioning have the taper right so i could just like connect it directly to the barrel which is like super cool to me anytime you can go direct thread i'm like super in favor of direct thread you're taking out a tolerance stack so like i'm always i'm always in favor of direct thread because um, it, it's the lightest weight usually too. Um, so the Hyperion K, the Hyperion itself, which is longer, um, that's a possibility. I haven't tested that either. Um, but we have tested the Helios, which is kind of like the Hyperion K, um, just different material. So there's that. Um, so yeah, who knows? Who knows? Something cool. Something cool is going to go on the end of this thing eventually for my personal use. But every freaking silencer that we test 300 Blackout is going to be on the gun too during the test. So like I'm gonna shoot every every silencer on it, and I'll pick the my favorite eventually. Okay, I mean it's like the best time to be alive for a silencer consumer. So I'm like a kid in a candy store at this point with that. So yeah. So you know a lot of because I know a lot of people have actually so some people have already asked me, oh, what are you putting on the gun? What are you gonna put on the gun? It's like yeah, I don't know. If I knew, I'd tell you. Then we'd be done. But we're not. We got a lot to do. So on to the other items. Whenever I am traversing the ranch, um, it's a really, like, this is thousands of acres. And just to, let me, okay, let me frame this. I, did, I just thought of this. Let me frame this for you. South Texas, everything has thorns. Um, a lot of elevation changes, very rocky, very dry. There's, there is vegetation, but it's kind of low. Not a lot of high trees. Um, a lot of mesquite. A lot of sagebrush, um, you know, prickly pear cactus. Man, this is this is Texas. Um, it's really an arid climate. It's it's moving toward more of the desert climate. Um, this how the way South Texas is. So, you know, that's okay. So picture that. That's the type of environment I'm in. So okay. So when I'm traversing that during the day, I like to have a standalone day optic. This is just something to spot. Like if I'm I'm walking around, I'm on my four-wheeler or something. I want to be able to quickly grab a, a, vis, a, a, a day optic, meaning not night vision or thermal. I want to pick up this day optic and I want to be able to spot something relatively far away and get a good look at it to see what's going on. My go-to for the last few years now has been the Leupold 10x42 BX4. Like, hands down, 
It's my favorite right now that I've used. Now I haven't used every one. I'm sure there's someone's gonna scream like, those are pieces of crap, dude. Don't you know about the XYZ blah, 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 blah made in Slovakia? And I'll be like, no, I didn't. I didn't know about that. But what I do know is loopholes made in the USA and it's awesome. I put it on a FHF. I think it's FHF. I'm gonna butcher that. Whatever, it's fine. I think it's an FHF gear FHF gear, I want to say that's the brand. It's a chest harness pouch. It's super cool. It's like not, it's not one of those big ones. It's just big enough, in my opinion, for the loophole 10 by 42. So when I'm not using the, the binoculars, I, I the, the, the binoculars are actually like the little, it comes with these little thing, this little clips on the little, uh, what do you call that? The lanyard attachments to the binoculars, it clips onto that. So when I'm not using them, I can, I can put it, let it dangle and it'll dangle just like I was holding it on a lanyard. But when I'm really not using them, I can put them into the harness pouch and it has a little elastic band closure thingamabob and it, they're out of the way, which is totally hands-free, which is so, useful i mean if you if you've never used a binocular pouch and you're a hunter or even just an explorer and you like to hike and like have your binoculars with you but you want to have your hands free and you don't want to have them bouncing around on your because they're hanging around your neck don't hang your don't hang your i'm here to tell you don't hang your binoculars around your neck like we always do that as kids and like bird watchers do that but if you're like actually doing something outside like and you need to be actually doing something like, I'm not a tactical person. Like, I'm not like, oh, man, I've got to have, like, my freaking bulletproof vest with, like, you know, all my mags on the chest carrier. No, I'm not that dude. But what I am is a practical outdoor person. And I'm here to tell you that chest harnesses are awesome. And I would, I would use one. I recommend this one. I think I got the recommendation from another hunter like many years ago, and I have not been steered wrong with it. Um, the harness is really comfortable. Mine just so happens to be in the first light fusion camo pattern. Um, if you if you like just now getting to know me online and you haven't been following me for a long time, then you might not understand that I'm like all in with first light hunting gear. Like I spend a lot of money on that crap. Like I am a junkie when it comes to my hunting clothes. Like I want to be comfortable. I'm at the point in my life where like I don't need to slum anymore with like my Walmart shirts, which like I used to do. And so now I'm like wearing the merino wool lightweight layers and stuff. And I'm in South Texas, so it's like super hot or it'll be like super weird cold. And like I want to sweat, but then like take the thing off and have it not smell and then have it dry really fast. Like that type of stuff to me is so dang worth it for convenience and feel and the color and the way it blend in. I mean, I'm all over it, dude. I'm all over first light stuff. Like, I don't know, are there, is there better camo? Yeah, probably. Is there cheaper camo? Yeah, of course. Do I like first light? Yeah. Okay. And so, um, Right now, to me, the, the, like there's a couple camo, camo patterns that First Light has. And the Fusion one is actually, so I think it's one of their older ones. I think they were one of the first companies to put 
camo patterns on merino wool. If you want to know more about merino wool, Google it. You'll, you're going to lose your mind because you're going to go down a rabbit hole. That stuff's awesome. Um, anytime I have a chance to match that camo pattern with some of my gear, I do. And that, that harness came in that pattern. And you know what's really crazy? The loophole binoculars, they're also a first light camo pattern, but not fusion. They're actually, is it Cypher? I can't remember what it's called, but I I'm pretty sure it's also a freaking first light. And, and I have first light pants that are the same as the binoculars. So isn't that weird? Like I totally didn't plan that part, but it just ended up working out like that. Those two camel patterns, like the one you see in the binoculars and the one you see on the harness, those two camel patterns in particular, I feel personally are very well suited for my environment in South Texas. And so that's kind of what keeps me um, going back to them, okay? Now, that, and that's where I hunt, principally. Now, the, the binoculars are ridiculously good. They gather, okay, one thing I just want to talk about really quick with, the, with binoculars is that one thing that's really important besides clarity is light gathering ability. I'm not an optics guru. Like, I don't know what exactly has to happen totally, like optically, to make light transmission be perfect. It's been a while since I've studied optics. I'm not gonna try to blow your skirt up and give you some kind of super technical dissertation on, on why these binoculars are awesome. All I can tell you is that I know what they do when I use them and they're bright, which is something that you take for granted if you've never used crappy binoculars. And I've used, okay, let me tell you, for the first, oh man, I wanna say, oh my gosh, like almost a decade, I used some big old 10 by 50 focus-free binoculars that like my dad had bought from Sam's Club back like when we were super poor, like back in the day. And like we finally got a Sam's Club membership and I got to go to Sam's Club and we were like, oh my gosh, like they have binoculars and like we saved up, saved up, bought some binoculars. And like those were like our family binoculars. Like we had one set and then like um, eventually they, like he gave them to me and then I used them for like my whole like adult life and then took them hunting and they were pieces of garbage. But I loved them and they worked great for me until I like looked through my loophole 10 by 42s and I was like, huh. These make my old Sam's Club 10x50s look like I'm looking through a toilet paper tube. So I'm going to go ahead and like not use those anymore. I mean, I still have them. I didn't throw them away. You know, I, I, I loan them out and stuff. And like they're spares for like, you know, you never know when you need optics. But, but man, the difference in light transmission, it's like, it, let me give you an example of practical use. If you're out in the morning or at dusk, and there's not enough light yet, dude, having a, having a good pair of light transmitting binoculars can be the difference between spotting a freaking trophy buck and like not even knowing he was there. I'm a firm believer in that because it's happened to me. All right. And so, um, I, I can't say enough good things about the loophole 
um, 10 by 42s. I think the 10 by 42 is a perfect size for me. Um, it's not so small that like I don't have enough magnification, but it's not so big that I that they get in the way, if that makes sense. So like the focus is super smooth. Like the fo oh the focus knob, like I am a I'm one of those people that when I do use optics, whether it's like thermal or day, or well thermal day where it's where it's vis visible light or infrared, um. I'm one of those people who's like hypersensitive to focus and I, I'm like a focus nerd where I'll, like, I'll try to get, I'll always try to get the sharpest image. And so that's something I do a lot with the loophole and, and it's something I enjoy doing because it's just so fluid now. I tell you what, it has gotten a little gritty here and there um, due to how incredibly rough I am on my gear. I, I am hard on my gear and it's not like I'm just hunting in like a place where there's not a lot of dust and it's a nice forest and like I can't, I, I I drive my four-wheeler like once a year to go to the deer blind no that's not how I hunt like I am going through very rough terrain over relatively long distances in extreme heat um, and wind and dust and rain and so like I mean, there's, and there's dust storms that go crazy. It's like, it's pretty crazy out there. And so my stuff does get used pretty hard. And so they have held up very well. And I know that if something ever did happen, I know that like loophole would take care of me too. Like they're, man, that's dude, straight up USA in that one, man. Their loop, their loophole is, is USA. Like they're, they're made here, which, you know, not everything I use is, and that's cool, but these are. And that does, that gives me a little bit of pride because, you know, I am on Team America. Now, um, I don't see myself changing binoculars for a very long time, honestly. And, and this is not, this is not an advertisement for Leupold. I don't have it, like, look, I don't do that. Like, I'm not an endorser person, okay? That's not what I do. Um, it, 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 I just have them and they're... If you're looking for some 10 by 42s, read some reviews on them. They probably have better ones now. Like I bought like these, these are like pretty old, not pretty old, but these, these are several years old. And so they're not the newest iteration. I'm pretty sure they have like BX5 models too. This is a BX4. So, I mean, Hey, there's probably better ones, but like right now for me, you got to keep in mind, I came from freaking Sam's club stuff. So my jump was like, you know, you're going from a, like a, what's a good car analogy. You're going from like a, oh, I don't even want to be cruel. Anyway, it was a step up. Now, the third item, <laughs> the third item might be a bit perplexing to some of you, and that's okay, but that's why I'm going to talk about it. So it is a Pulsar Helion, Helion, called the Helion, Helion, Pulsar Helion. XP50, which is actually also an older model. There's like updated ones now. It is a handheld infrared or thermal spotting monocular. Okay, I'm saying monocular, it's use it with one eye. Um, it has a manual optical focus, which is a big deal on a thermal. I can assure you an optical focus, meaning that the lens is moving. That's super big deal because the lenses of a thermal are made of germanium glass 
um, because normal glass will reflect heat signature. And so you need a special type of glass to have a thermal. And that's why that's one of the reasons why thermals are so expensive among other reasons. Okay. So anytime you have a mechanical optical zoom on a thermal spotter, that's what you want. I'm not, I'm not, no, no, no. I didn't say zoom. Sorry. I, I mean, I didn't mean zoom. I meant focus. Anytime you have a manual optical focus, like that's going to be more money. Um, but I'm here to tell you, you want that. And, um, it has digital zoom and it's pretty crazy what it does now. It's incredible actually. I've used it for over three years or so, I guess I want to say, I think at this point, at this point it's, it's my personal, I mean, I bought, I bought it. Like that was also not something I was given. That is, I, I purchased that for myself. Um, it, it basically makes deer hunting almost cheating because I just want to let you guys know that if you've never used a thermal like this, because this isn't, look, this, now look, I mentioned loophole having awesome binoculars. This isn't some loophole thermal. Those are like really crappy. This is a Pulsar thermal and it, it, it's going to blow away a loophole thermal to the point of like, you might as well think like the loophole thermal came in a Cracker Jack box. All right. Like that's how much better it is. It's not even the same sport. It's not even the same sport, dude. Like don't even, don't even entertain those cheap thermals. You're going to waste your money. Um, I can spot heat signature over a thousand yards away, um, under the right conditions and terrain. Um, and, and the, the image algorithms in the software have actually gotten even better because Pulsar is so dang good with that. They squeeze every bit of performance they can. And I don't even, I don't even have the latest model. I mean, the XP 50 is high end It's a 640 sensor. Um, 17 micron, but it's not like the best. There's even better stuff than this, but I'm here to tell you this, this will kick the crap out of those cheap things and you have to use it. I mean, you have to learn how to use it. You can't just like get a thermal and then be, be predator. Okay. I mean, that's why I bought it. Cause I wanted to be the predator. I mean, why, why else do we get in the thermal? We get in the thermal so we can act out the movie predator and find everything to kill. Like that's, like, don't get it twisted. Like, you know why you're doing this. So you can act out the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and kill stuff. Okay? That's why we have the technology. And that's okay with me. Because I'm a killer. I hunt. I'm going to do that efficiently. Now, once you learn how to use it, and you're, like, super awesome with it, there are a lot, and there are people in this industry that that are really good with thermal. And I know a lot of them. Because, like, I'm one of those hunter people that uses thermal and there's some people like i mean there's like todd he you know todd huey he's a famous dude lone star boars guy todd's a great guy super nice um he's probably killed more things with thermal than anybody in the world <laughs> or more pigs at least i wouldn't say more things than anyone but definitely more hogs i think confirmed so like he's really good with them um I mean, once you're, once you're good with them, once you're good with the thermal, even like forget about thermal scopes right now, just a spotter. Once you're good with a thermal spotter, it's one of the best technologies for the hunter. Like in my opinion, it really is. It's, um, it's insane. And I know there's like a lot of military, like clone guys and like super tactical guys that are like are all about night vision. And I respect that night vision's cool, but unlike night vision, you can use thermal during the day. Okay, a lot of you might not know that, um, but you can, and I do that all the time. That's why it's on this post today, 
That's why it's in that picture. Because this is my day loadout, dude. This is what I bring. I bring that during the. I bring my my helium around with me during the day. Um, I think if I could only have one thermal, I would probably still have the helion that you see in the picture and not a dedicated thermal scope for a rifle. If you really wanted to, you could use the thermal spotter to locate things at night and then shoot them with red light. You feel me? Then you could use the same spotter during the day and then shoot them with the same day scope you were using at night with red light. Okay, it wasn't so long ago that we that everyone did everyone used red light, and people still do. You don't need a thermal scope. Um, you could you see so then you could use the same spotter during the day, right? So you you're using it day and night. That would be one way to save money if you could only afford one thermal, because good thermals like this are between three and six grand. And so depending on like depending on the model, and so like I know it's not a popular opinion to recommend only a spotter, like instead of only a day scope, which would be the alternative, but I have enough hunting experience in South Texas to tell you what I really think. Like a lot of these hunters that you see on like Instagram and stuff, like even Todd, like what where he hunts. Um, like he has like all these open fields and stuff. Like they're like, they're hunting these huge pastures to help farmers and things like that. That's not where I hunt. Like that's just not my terrain. Like I don't do that. Like that's not, that's just not what, that's just not what I do. And so, I mean, I have done that and I've hunted in places like that, but that's not where I hunt the most often. My terrain is way different than that. Um... I just, I have enough hunting experience in South Texas to tell you what I really think. Now, if you're only shooting big groups of hogs at night, like only hogs, and they're in big groups, or you're only shooting coyotes at night or something like that, and you have no need for day use at all, and you want to save money, like just buy only a thermal scope for your gun and be done with it. But, and then you could like spot with your scope too, I guess. But my personal setup for night hunting, I can tell you what I use for, for night hunting. Um, it's the helion around my neck, and I use that loophole lanyard. You see that in the picture? It says loophole on that lanyard near next to the helion, but that's not obviously not a loophole thermal. That's a pulsar thermal. I use the loophole lanyard because it's comfortable, and that's from, that came with the binoculars because the FHF gear pouch holds the binoculars. I don't need the lanyard. You see, I like I repurposed it. See, I repurposed. That's like a new hip word to use. And uh, so I do that. I have the helium around my neck, but then I have a thermal scope on the rifle. So I have two thermals I use simultaneously at night. Okay. One to spot, one to shoot. Very expensive, not going to lie. That's like actually ridiculous. But hey, you got you to gotta, um, pay to play sometimes. So um, everyone has their hobbies. <laughs> so for, for, for daytime, the loadout you see in the photo might be something... Um, yeah, it, it might be something I really take a liking to. Look, I travel on it, like, most of the time uh, during the day, I'm traveling on a Kawasaki uh, four-wheel drive ATV, four-wheeler. Um, it's an old carbureted brute force 650, the 650cc carbureted engine. Um, it has engine braking. 
like the exhaust braking, which is like, no, not exhaust braking, engine braking. Engine braking, super useful because of the hills that I'm going down and up. Like, I'm telling you what, like, do, like if you're going on a hilly terrain and you don't have engine braking on your four-wheeler, like, I'm sorry. Like, get it because it's going to like, I, I barely even use the brakes on that thing. Like, it's awesome. Um, one of the best ATV, ATVs ever I got on Craigslist. Um, Craigslist to me is like where you should get four wheelers. I would not buy a brand new four wheeler. Like that's so stupid for hunting. Cause you're going to screw it. Like I, that four wheeler goes through hell. Like you're going to buy, what are you going to buy a brand new four wheeler and like spend like eight grand. Come on, man. Spend that on guns. Get a four wheeler. that's cheaper. Get it used. You, some guy barely used it. And then you can like, you know, beat the crap out of it. That's my opinion on hunting vehicles. All right. I don't, I feel like I'm giving you a lot of information today, but Maybe information overload, but this is just something I think. Now, you know, a lot of people message me about hunting, so I'm trying to like give you guys like deer season coming up. I'm kind of getting a little bit deer fever, whitetail fever, so I'm trying to like mix that in with this, let you know a little bit how I hunt, a little bit about some of the gear I use, because it's something I like to talk about because I'm passionate about it, and like I think that I know it's a lot, a lot of it's expensive. You don't need all this to have fun, but if some of you are looking for some of it, maybe this will give you some ideas about like what directions to go in. And if you, if you don't like it, that's cool. Like I'm not selling anything. So, you know, you can think all of it's stupid, like that's cool, but you're listening for a reason. So hopefully it's useful now. Um, yeah, so that was my, that's my four wheeler. I just told you about, I think, yeah. So day exploring, that's what the photo is. I thought it was cool. Um, you know, I've run across coyotes, bobcats, stuff like that during the day that I've Definitely put rounds into and then like taking that that hide and had it tanned and there's one there's a bobcat hide sitting on my desk right now that I'm sitting recording this. Look over to my left, I got a full-size bobcat mount on top of my bookshelf. I got a couple of coyote hides hanging. I got a bunch of white-tailed deer mount. Like I I I wouldn't call myself a trophy hunter hunter necessarily because I do hunt for meat, but you 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 bet your you bet your britches that I did I keep some trophies for my kills? Um, you remember when I was talking about being the predator with a thermal? You ever seen that movie when like the dude, like when I say the dude, the alien predator hunter guy has like the human skulls and he's like filling them. He's like, dude, like I'm going to kill those humans and I'm going to take their skulls. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's not so different than what I do with animals. I mean, it seems brutal, but like, I don't know. I have this thing in me where I'm like, I want to kill something and I want to eat it. Like, and I eat the deer. I mean, I'm eating deer all year, year round. You see my Instagram stories. I'm cooking chili. I'm cooking steaks. I'm cooking burgers. We're doing all kinds of stuff with it. And to me, the honor that I have of taking the animal's life and using its flesh for food, I, I like to like take a memento to remember the hard work it took to take that animal. And for me, that's, uh, that's having my good old, my good taxidermist buddy bleach the skull and mount it on a wooden plaque and have its horns hang on my wall. <laughs> and if you don't like that, well, that's cause you haven't done it. And then you do it and you like it. You'd be like, Oh, that's what, that's why this is cool. I'm like, I know. Right. Like everyone that like thinks it's weird to me, like they, they see me do it. They're like, that's weird. And then they do it and they're like, oh, like that's why you do this. 
I'm like, yeah, there's something to be said about having a beer and like eating the meat of the animal you killed. And you're like, oh, that's why it feels so good to me because I did this myself. I'm like, bingo, that's why, that's right. That's exactly why it feels good. So that, that's something I'm super into. So if I'm out in my day loadout and I got my freaking binoculars around my chest in my chest rig, I got my thermal hanging there. I haven't used that. I'm just like, and I see a bobcat and I have a mini fix. I'm going to shoot that mini fix. I'm going to kill that bobcat. And I'm going to take that bobcat to my taxidermist because I don't have the time to tan the hide myself. And it's going to be sweet. And it'll be another little throw for, put some, make into a coaster or something. I don't know. Make some socks. Okay. That was the first topic. And we are an hour in. <laughs> oh my God. Is that true? Oof. Can I get an F? Pay your respects. Oh my God, I have five topics. I just spent an hour on the first one. Okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna keep doing this. Let's just keep going and uh, we're gonna see how far I get. And then that way you'll have, you'll have a longer podcast this week. Hey, it's only fair. I didn't give you that one. I didn't give you a long one. I didn't give you any podcast last week for the first time in forever. I missed one because I was busy. So maybe this is the universe's way of balancing that out. It is technically September 2nd now. Um, it is midnight. Uh, this is what I get for doing too much stuff. Second topic. Okay, just shot the 300 Blackout Mini Fix. <laughs> Although we just talked about that. But I hey, I shot the 308 too. I shot the 308 Fix. They're nice, man. I, they're cool. Um, they were expensive. But they're nice. Now... Um, just shot them. I told you about the mini fix. Well, you know, I shot the 308 and man, let me tell you, the 308 fix really highlights some bad shooting mechanics. If you have them, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, man, it is so light. That freaking gun is so dang light. You really need to focus on getting behind the rifle. Getting square, okay. If you're not a if you're not a bolt if you're not a shooter if you're not a rifle if you're not a rifleman if you're not a rifle shooter, you might not understand what I'm saying, and that's okay. I am not a marksman, but I know a little bit about the fundamentals, and I'm telling you that I am rusty, like, and for a couple of reasons. So, I you know you really need to focus on getting behind the rifle in a square setup. I really need to practice more of my fundamentals. I have some bad habits from years of deer harvesting with a bolt action from like weird positions in like blinds and stuff like that, like that I just kind of picked up over the years because I didn't need to be a super duper ninja sniper guy. And so I need to get better and I will with practice. And that's something that, that is actually super exciting to me. That's something that I really want to, that's actually one of my goals for the end of this year and next year. I really want to delve more into that. So that's something like maybe I can work in. I think I feel like I should be able to work that in with my outdoor time at the end of this year. Now, um, I let me tell you what happened though with, with this 308 fix when I shot it. I did not correctly torque the Scalar Works rings and my scope on the fix slipped forward due to its inertia. 
let's talk about that. So the scope is heavy that I had on there on the, on the full size fix and the gun is light. And so the scope wanted to stay there when the rifle recoiled. Okay. What's inertia? It's a tendency of an object to, uh, to want to either keep moving or stay still. And inertial force is real. And so the scope wanted to stay stationary. The, I thought that the rings were tightened enough. They weren't. I made a mistake in my installation due to some thing, due to some issues and the scope slipped. But before it slipped, before it slipped, the first shot I shot out of that rifle, the very first shot from the fix without even bore sighting it was about six inches right at a hundred yards and two inches low. So that's crazy. Like that's how straight the damn mount is. That's, I didn't even bore sight that thing, dude. I put, I put the, the scope on zeroed from the factory. This was a brand new scope. I put it on there, put it in the Scalator Works mount, went and shot it. The first shot, six inches right, two inches down at a hundred yards. So I adjusted it and then I got on target. It was easy, but then the scope started moving and then it was a pain in my ass, right? Because then you're like, and I didn't realize that the scope moved. So I was like, dude, why are my groups opening up? Like, what am I doing? Am I retarded? Like, I was like, oh, I suck. Like this sucks. I was like, wait, no, I'm, I'm shooting pretty well. I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh, dang. I looked at the scope. I was like, oh, Okay, well, there it is. I saw like the mark on the scope where like it had moved forward a lot. And I was like, oh, shoot. And kind of kicked myself because I was like, oh, man. Because like it was the end of a week and I was like tired. And like I had stayed like a little extra just to like sight in the gun. Because I was like, oh, sweet. It's mounted. I could sight it in. It's one less thing I have to do later. Like that's super cool. Like I'll be done with it. Um, But... I didn't have the level. I didn't have. I didn't had had not brought a level with me, and I didn't bring that little set screw for the scalar works mount that I explained earlier. So I was like, I am not about to try to level this scope and re-tighten this right now and zero this. Like I do not have the equipment with me, and so I I packed it up. I decided to side it. I'll side in the setup another day. It's okay. This happens. Um, sometimes these things happen. Probably won't be the last time. So I did want to mention a couple things about the rifle though. The the full size fix other than the weight, which you know now. After shooting it, one thing I really like is the stock, the cheek piece, the length of pull adjustment on the butt, butt pad thing with the two um, screws. Really nice, really like that. Um, the bolt is really a joy to work. I enjoy how you don't have to like, the throw isn't really huge. I actually like how it's small. I don't like a big, bolt on the gun. I like how it's compact and small like that to me like that's cool. Um, I like how the stock folds. There's something about that bolt though, man. That is freaking cool. I am, I'm pretty excited to have a new bolt rifle. Honestly, um, it's been a long time coming and I feel like I've earned having a bolt rifle. So me purchasing this rifle, um, it was one of those 2020 treat yourself type of moments where I was like, Hey, I work hard. I'm going to buy an expensive bolt gun. <laughs> and I think I bought the right one. Um, once I get it dialed in and I start killing animals with it, I'll let you know. And um, it's a 16 inch. So it's 16 inch instead of 20 inch. So I'm, I'm losing four inches of 
bullet push. So I'm going to be losing that velocity, but I don't shoot far enough for that to matter in South Texas. That's why I got a 308 and not a 65 for those of you wondering, but the, I can also change the barrel to 65 because it's a fix and that allows a quick barrel change. So if I ever want to shoot this very far away, I will um, do that, but I probably won't. And it'll probably be 308 forever because it's God's caliber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to get some hate for that one. Topic three. Speaking of the minifix, though, we are, Pew Science, that is, going to pivot directly into 300 blackout testing very soon. Very soon. Okay, let me see. I just purchased 500 rounds of subsonic ammunition from Discrete Ballistics. Okay, so thank you to all the members of Pew Science who helped make that possible. That is direct member contribution to testing ammunition purchase. Like that's, this is not, now when I say Discrete Ballistics, this is not their expanding subsonic. Like I'm not buying hunting ammo. I bought their target ammo, subsonic ammo. This is, a, this is test ammunition, okay? So this is that's a Pew Science purchase. Um, I now have a decent supply of the SNB subsonic, they, the Wolf Steel Case supersonic, and now the Discrete Ballistic subsonic. That's, so that's three different types of ammunition. Um, and since me personally, I am so new to 300 Blackout, and I really have not seen any comparison sound testing data at all. For different 300 blackout ammunition types, like at least nothing that's close to adequate for Pew Science purposes, right? Nothing that I, no, no data that anyone could share with me and I could actually use for anything, like nothing quantitative like we do. Um, I decided that I, I really had to start from scratch um, with these, and, and I picked three just because I have them. And this is a crazy time, guys, right now in ammunition availability. So I'm gonna work with what I have, and I think the three choices represent. A, a relatively loud and cheap subsonic, a cheap but supersonic round that could be something ubiquitous later when folks get a hold of it because it's, again, cheap. And then the Discrete Ballistics, which to me represents a specialized boutique ammunition. And you know what? David that owns Discrete Ballistics, I've talked to him for a while now, for like several years. I like what he's doing. And like I said on a previous episode, like I decided to support his company by giving his ammunition a shot. All right, this is not like a paid advertisement. Like I'm not advertising SNB, I'm not advertising Wolf, and I'm not advertising Discrete Ballistics. I want, let me take a moment really quick. I mean, it's already late. I'm, I'm gonna keep talking. And like, so I'm just like streaming conscious, consciousness to talking to you right now. I wanna make sure all of you listening understand me when I talk, when I say, when I mention brands, whether that's, a scope brand, a firearm brand, a thermal brand, a silencer brand, an ammunition brand. Like these are not advertisements. I am not getting paid by anybody doing this. The only people who are paying Pew Science are members that are contributing to us through, through the website so that we can test for you, okay? And so this is a lot different then some of these po other, po like I don't know if it's other podcasts, but like other entities in the firearms industry 
or like pop culture, like social media you may be listening to where like they're mentioning these like, oh, we just got the the Kimber blah, blah, blah. And the Kimber thing is so, the reason I like the Kimber is because blah, blah, blah. And also like, look, dude, like we're not doing that. I'm not going to do that. Like that's not my thing. I'm just not doing it. Like I'm not an advertiser like that. Maybe, maybe, or probably, I'm going to say probably this podcast will eventually have a sponsor other than Pew Science. Like Pew Science sponsors the J Situation podcast. Okay. Um, if there's another sponsor or when another sponsor happens, you'll, you'll know. Like I'm going to say it's sponsored by blah, 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 blah. They're the best for thing in my opinion because blah, 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 blah. Check them out at www.blahblahblahblah.com or whatever I decide to do. And that's cool. And that way that'll be transparent. And if you don't want to listen to the ad, you can skip it. That type of thing, right? Cool. So we clear. So like, I thought that was important. I just thought of this like just now when I was speaking, I, I thought that was important to say because I am, um, let me think how to phrase this. Pew Science sometimes gets scrutiny, public and private, for by, I'm sorry, by entities or individuals who think that we have some kind of slant or some kind of lean toward entities based upon our mentioning of, or based upon my mentioning of a company's product. And I can understand why people might think that because of how people are used to the firearms industry operating. Like all these like influencer people and stuff, like you don't know what you're getting, man, from them. Like chances are, if you're seeing a gun review or firearm review, it's because that person sent something to somebody and they got something for free or at a discount, or they're working for them, or they're on the payroll, or something, and like, I don't want you to think that. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not getting a kickback from these ammo companies for testing their, these three brands of ammo. It just doesn't make sense. Like, the amount of work I would have to do, and then what, then I'd be like, beholden to them, and then I would owe them something. Like, you think that like, someone's gonna give you something let you keep it, and then you're not going to owe them for that? Like, unless it's like a special circumstance, that's super rare. And like, I don't think, like, I'm here to tell you, the, the discrete ballistics ammo that I bought was not cheap. And I got a text today saying, hey, dude, what's your credit card number? I'm about to ship this ammo. And I was like, cool. And I gave him a credit card number. Like, that's literally like I'm, I'm transparent man i'm telling you like this is not and so like i don't because i'm and i'm saying this on public record and this is the podcast so this is immortalized like you can't get this off the internet right like even if i wanted to like some people can be down with this forever like this is like a it's like one of those like rosetta stone type situations uh, it's probably not the right term regardless what i'm saying is this is public i'm giving you free information and I'm here to tell you, I'm trying to do this right. Um, I think those three ammo types are a good start. Are they the perfect start? No. I can tell you I contracted Gorilla Ammunition too. I think I talked about that. 
Um, I flipped a coin and I went with I went with discrete just because honestly they're a little smaller and I knew David and you know I think maybe it was a little cheaper for me barely I mean it was a wash in the cost but um, just the way like when I had talked with a gentleman a gorilla and will I will I test gorilla Ammunition, which supplies a lot of ammunition to other folks. Yes, I absolutely will. They're great folks. I'm not trying to disparage them. I'm just, I was going to go with one type right now, and that's why I bought stuff from David. Am I going to call up Gorilla and buy a case for his next week? Maybe. Maybe I'll do that, and maybe we'll have four. But for right now, I have three, or I will have three, and um, that's what you're going to see. Um, maybe some other people will send me some when they, when they hear this. I doubt it, because I can tell you right now, every ammunition manufacturer I've talked to were like, dude, um, we don't have to give away anything because we're selling stuff so much that like, like they don't have a vested interest, right? Like they, they don't have to do anything for promotion. Like that's why if you see, like in my opinion, if you see someone getting a hemo for free in, in today's environment, like they're either like, there's a marketing incentive there, dude. Like ammo companies don't need to give anything away. Like they can sell, they can sell whatever they want for for whatever price they want. So, um, either either there's some kind of pre-existing relationship, or like those people are marketing the hell out of that ammo. I can promise you, like that's the way it works. Um, so, like I said, I decided to start from scratch, and instead of dumping all of this like that's like 1500 rounds instead of dumping them all through a machine gun, like a crazy person during an ammunition shortage. Um, I think putting some of this to good use with some diligent testing is prudent. Okay. Like that's what I think. So like this weekend, this weekend, if the stars align, if they align, that will be one of the things I start to do. We'll get some good unsuppressed data. Okay, we'll get some good unsuppressed data for you. And then I'll start doing some silencer testing with this stuff, this different ammo, to see what we're dealing with. I don't know what to expect. It's bolt gun, 300 blackout. I've never done it. Um, I don't know what to expect. I need to look at the waveforms. I need to really understand what I'm looking at. Um, and I want you to understand it too. So we're going to learn together, um, just like you did when you read the silencer sound standard. We're going to learn this. Okay. I'm going to learn this one with you. We're going to learn these. We're going to learn. We're going to take the 300 blackout journey together. Okay. For those of you who know about 300 blackout, you might be able to help guide us. But right now I am going to be your guide as I am my own. And I will hold your hand through the forest of 300 blackout and we will navigate it and we will not get lost. We will establish good orienteering practice and we are going to be awesome. Um, I'm going to process the data that I get with some of my silencers and then we're going to, I think we're going to have some good, a good baseline of like what we're dealing with. Like, where are we? Like, is this, is this scary? Is it new? Like, or is this old hat? It might be old hat and maybe I'm making like this, maybe this like making too big a deal out of this. But um, I haven't seen this data published anywhere. Like before I started Pew Science, like I saw some firearm test data with like popular cartridges, but I have never seen 300 blackout uh, with a fidelity that we produce ever. I have never, I have never 
seen that in academia. I've never seen, I like literally nowhere in the world have I seen this. So like, like people have tested AR-15s with 5.56 all day long, high fidelity. Like that's not public stuff that you see widespread, but like in the journals and like the academic literature and stuff they have. They definitely have. They've tested that. They've tested not, they've tested the NATO stuff. You know, they test the, they've tested the NATO stuff because that's, you know, ubiquitous in a lot of different military type of environments and organizations. But I, I can assure you all the 300 blackout or 300 whisper testing that's been done on sound is um is like the commercial testing by like, you know, gun magazines and stuff, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing, we're doing pew science. So, um, I'm, uh, I am so anxious to start this. I am not even going to wait until we have like a bunch of silencers available to go out and do this. Like I'm not doing, I'm not waiting for that. Like, like talking to with our suppliers, like there's some available, but not everyone is. And there's all these other issues and blah, 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 blah. And there are some politics and like, I'm not, I'm not even, I don't care. At this point, we're going to get data as soon as we can. And that time's now. And so like, this is literally the earliest opportunity for this. And so I'm seizing the opportunity. I'm making it happen like now, like this week. So I've already tested quite a few silencers on nine inch 300 blackout semi-auto. But I'm here to tell you, we need to do this more method, 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 methodically, method, methodically. I'm like, I'm like searching for my word. I'm like, what? We need to do it more methodically first with a bolt gun. And we really need to understand the ammunition. And so I think going back to basics is going to do the community a real service. I think people are so focused right now on particular weapons. I think that's a mistake. I think right now, I think the hosts are going to come. And I think that's easy. That's easy peasy lemon squeezy. Once you have your base level silencer performance, that's where the magic is. Okay. And that's where we're going to go first. We're going to go first. We're going to start slow. We're going to be patient. We're going to start with bolt gun. And then we're going to, we're going to explore. We're going to, we're going to use the, the one mega sample per second sample rate of PewSoft to our advantage. We're going to be very careful. We're going to interpret the, the waveforms and it's going to be awesome. Now, look, don't get, okay, don't get super excited, but I might slap together a little 556 five, upper for this test series this weekend, okay? On Thursday, I am getting, um, <laughs> I did a thing. I, I went a little ham. Um, and I bought a little ninth, a little bit of Knight's Armament parts because I couldn't wait. And I saw um, RSR, the distributor, had an old mid-length um, Knight's handguard. And then they also had like a URX 3.1, 13.5 inch. But like I don't have like a 14 and a half inch barrel for that yet, but it's okay. But I did the, the mid-length quad rail from Knights. I bought that and I think I'm gonna put it on the 11 and a half inch mid-length gas barrel I have, even though like it's not gonna look as awesome, but it's gonna be a good test upper for now. So yeah, look, I got a lot of 5.56 ammo, okay? 
you tend to do that when you own an M16, you kind of accumulate 5.56, so I have that. Here's, here's the thing about 5.56, okay? I've been doing some thinking, and I've been talking to more folks, because I'm like, this is something that's been really weighing on me. I think that yes, 11 and a half inch barrel with a carbine length gas system and a 14 and a half inch barrel with a mid-length gas system, those two are probably the best for the public to know about right now, okay? I think you're right. To all of you who told me that, I thought about it, I think you're right. But guess what? Right now I only have an 11 and a half inch mid-length and I have an 18 inch side charger upper that I'm not gonna mess with right now. Um, and I have a 10 and a half inch piston that I'm not gonna mess with right now. So I'm gonna start with the 11 and a half inch mid-length gas system. I'm starting there. It doesn't mean I'm finishing there. It doesn't mean I'm gonna even continue there. That's where I'm gonna start. It's just, look, it's what I'm gonna do. Um, what does that mean for you? Well, what it means is that we get to see how straight barrel blowback influence the operation of a gas system. What is it? What, what am I? What do I mean by that? Okay. Well, this is this is a direct impingement system. Blowback is occurring through the gas system through the gas tube, but it's also occurring down the barrel. Okay. This is important for you to understand. And so that's a lot of blowback. And so we, we can still get meaningful test results even with a mid-length 11 and a half. Um, with that, some of the variables we can mess with are the bolt carriers that I have now, a mil-spec carrier, the LMT enhanced carrier, and the Surefire OBC, the Surefire um, Optimized Bolt Carrier. I don't know if you guys saw my Instagram story today, but I totally got one. It cost me like $450, which in my opinion was very expensive, but hey, I got a call with Surefire tomorrow. I'm going to talk to those guys about silencers. And so um, maybe I'll be like, hey, I bought your carrier. Um Maybe you can buy me a sandwich someday when I meet you. No, I'm just kidding. Totally, totally wouldn't say that. But what I am saying is that we can test the Surefire, the LMT, and the MilSpec. And I think that's like one thing that's going to be cool. A am I going to do the A5 test right now? Um, I don't know. Maybe not this weekend. I'm not sure yet. I haven't thought about it. I haven't really given a lot of thought yet. Have, I, haven't, I haven't written my test matrix yet is, is the real answer. Um, I'm gonna. I, I obviously need to write that test matrix, but like I need to do a lot of work tomorrow. Then I also need to like build this upper Thursday. What's today? Today's midnight. Wednesday. It's 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 Wednesday. It's it's zero twenty six right now. It's twenty six after midnight on Wednesday morning. Um, and so like I don't even know when I'm gonna do my test matrix. Like it's gonna be. I think it's a three day weekend though. So we're gonna have. It's gonna be okay. Um, we'll figure that out. So I don't know if I'm gonna do the A5. Maybe. The Surefire, here's the thing about the Surefire. The Surefire OBC is only gonna work with a carbine length receiver extension. And so I'm pretty sure, hmm, 
I'm pretty sure that's how that works. So maybe it will be, maybe this weekend will be a carbine extension three-way comparison and an A5 two-way comparison. So like the A5 two-way comparison could be like the LMT and mil spec with like the same bolt. And then like the Surefire OBC would be like only compared when we're using the, the standard length carbine, I'm sorry, standard carbine length receiver extension or buffer tube. Um, and, and, and we would do this unsuppressed and suppressed. And, and, and when I talk about comparison, I'm talking about sound at the muzzle and ear. Right now, I'm talking about sound at the muzzle and ear. Now, I'm saying that because I probably won't have the high-speed camera set up because, the, okay, look, here's the thing about high-speed camera. Um, I had a couple choices. One would be to like borrow some high-speed cameras from, a, from my lab but like I'm not going to do that because I want to break them because then I have to buy them and they're like 30 grand minimum. Not my idea of a good time. So what I do is I have an older high-speed camera that's like more than capable of what Pew Science needs. And like this is actually Pew Science equipment. The, the problem with it is that it's not a problem, but the, the obstacle with it is that the software, okay, I can, I can operate it without a computer, but I want to use a computer for it and so the software that I need to run that that com that camera with is actually like Windows XP because it's old. And so like the new Windows 10, like on my laptop right now, like doesn't have an XP mode, I think, or something. Like honestly, guys, I haven't even freaking investigated this yet. If there's any like IT dudes listening. I don't know if I'm going to do like a VMware virtualization. I don't know if I'm going to do like a, you know what I mean? Like I could use VMware, right? Or, 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 is it, or is there like an XP mode I can download? Or do I need to like get an old laptop and put XP on it? Like probably not, right? I guess I could. I could, you know what? That might be a good idea. Use an old laptop and have a dedicated like Windows XP machine just for the high-speed camera. Um, I don't know. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I don't think I'm gonna have that ready for this weekend because I don't have time. But I do wanna get out to test. So like, it'll be a work in progress. What, the reason I'm mentioning the high-speed camera at all is because that's part of back pressure validation study. Because with, what can you do with a high-speed camera? You can measure bolt velocity of an AR-15, okay? And you can do it very accurately. And um, you know who you know who does that. You know how they do that in the military for military testing. They use a high speed camera. Okay, so like, don't think that this is some kind of crazy thing that won't work. It's like no, that's what you do, and that's. I mean, this is like what I do for a living. I, I measure things that are go fast. Like this is not. I mean, do I measure bolt carrier velocity for a living? No. Do I measure objects moving very fast for a living? Yeah, it's part of what I do. So like, we got this fam, we, we got this. Um, I just don't have the time to set that up right now. It's fine, we, we hey, we, we have time. We have all the time in the world, theoretically, uh, until I die. And so, um, yeah, I think this will be, this weekend will be a first, a good first, baseline test um, to understand 
those bolt carriers, if I can do that, if I, if I don't get carried away with 300 blackout and run out of daylight or something, which is a possibility, let's be honest. But if I, if I think if I intelligently design a test matrix and once we start going, we have our, all our equipment set up, I mean, we are gonna cook. When I say cook, we are going to fly through testing. Like the way I designed, um, the way I designed PewSoft, um, PewSoft is really good because it takes a lot of the human problems out of testing and uh, is very repeat. It, it, it like does a lot of stuff for you that you don't need to do. And that's cool um, because like it can make testing super fast. And uh, that's part of uh, why I did it. And so I think that's gonna be cool. What we don't wanna do, what we don't want to do is with our AR-15, with our 5.56 testing, is test with something in, in the host weapon that is radically crazy, like in the future. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, I don't know what to expect from those three type of bolt carriers, mil-spec, LMT, and Surefire. I don't know what to expect, um, technically. And so if I don't start that now, we are gonna be behind. So that, so I'm gonna do that just to get a baseline, just to look and look, what does that mean? Like the, I feel like I'm telling a story here, but I want you guys to understand when I say we're gonna investigate and we don't know yet and we, we need to see what we're in for, what that's gonna mean is I'm gonna need some time to get the initial data. Then I'm gonna need to investigate and process it to understand what I'm looking at. And then I'm gonna need to analyze it. And then I'm gonna need to interpret it for you and then present to you and say, hey guys, hello, public Pew Science Research Cooperative that we have created. Hi, I'm Jay. Here's the, some results from this study. By the way, now we have some decision points to make as a community, um, i.e. I'm gonna decide and tell you what I'm doing. Um, blah, 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 blah. And if you have some feedback, let me know. I might consider it. Like, okay, so that's the game plan. Um, yeah, that's the game plan right now. And you know what? I talk, I'm, I'm talking this up. Maybe it's simple. Maybe I get it. I'm like, oh, well, this is an easy, easy peasy lemon squeezy type of thing. I'm just gonna do this and it'll be easy. Now, what if, here, riddle me this since you're listening. Riddle me this. What if like I find that I want to use the Surefire thing for all my testing? What happens then? Then you're like, well, Jay, I don't have a Surefire and my gun will be different and it might be louder. And I'll be like, dang, man, I'm sorry. Looks like you need a quieter host. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I probably wouldn't do that. Maybe I will. I don't know. Um, it's a good question. I've been asking myself and it goes against some philosophy in that you do want to have a common host platform to be relatable to people. But at the same time, you do also want to show the, sometimes to me, I want to show like the quietest host I can to give someone like the best case for a silencer and be like, hey man, like, like okay, here's an example, nine millimeter semi-auto testing, HKP30L. I guarantee you, you are not gonna find a silencer, uh, I'm sorry, a pistol host that is like way, 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 way more quiet than the P30L. You know how I know that? 
because I tested against the, the SIG P226 and it was quieter than that. And the SIG P226 is super great. And so is there a, a, a nine millimeter pistol silencer host that's quieter than the HKP30L? You bet your ass there. Yeah, there is. There's definitely one that's quieter. Do I know what it is? No. Is it, is it maybe an HK USP expert or something with a threaded barrel? Maybe. Is it maybe like a, like a CZ target pistol with a longer barrel? Maybe. Is it a, is it a SIG like 226 like X5 with a longer barrel? Maybe. But those aren't common. And the HKP30L is a combat pistol and it's common. And it's cool because I like it, so I chose it. So what I'm saying with the Surefire thing for the AR-15 is that maybe I tell you, hey, um, this is the P30L of AR-15s. And if you want to know how the silencer sounds, um, that's what it sounds like on here. And if you want something louder, cool, but it's going to be louder. Or, or maybe I test, or maybe, maybe I do that. Maybe, um, and look, this is just for instance. I'm just giving you examples. Like, what if I do that? And it's like, oh, well, um, then I test like a Daniel Defense, whatever, or like a LMT, whatever, or like a <sighs> Sons of Liberty Gunworks, or who else makes AR-15s? Um, a hundred thousand companies and then I like test one of theirs and I'm like here's the difference you could expect and you're like dang that is a big difference I'm like yeah it is or wow that difference doesn't make that that's that doesn't make that much of a difference at all I'm wearing hearing protection anyway I don't care and I'm like cool you know what I mean so like you don't know yet dude like no one none of you know yet I don't know yet it's impossible to know without looking at the data um are we going to be doing something that's old hat that everyone already knows Maybe. Will you see it in black and white? Most definitely. So like, that's kind of my stream of consciousness about that right now. Um, I don't know. Um, we don't, like I said, we don't want to test with something crazy, but since I don't even know what to expect yet at all, I'm going to start investigating, and that's why I dumped all the money into these things that I did to give you the results, and the results you shall have. So that's the current plan. Stay tuned for updates, okay? Okay, topic four. We're, what are we, hour 42? We're gonna, we're gonna hit two hours. Cool, hey, that means you guys got your hour from last week. I told you that the universe has a way of, it's gonna be one o'clock in the morning before I'm done. I'm get up, get up at, get up at 7 a.m post about this. Great. It's really healthy for me. By the way, I squatted today again. I squatted Monday and today, or yesterday, Tuesday. So girlfriend and I worked out actually together. I'm so tired. Topic four, upcoming data release, new review coming this week. Okay. That's a big deal. And a, a member's research supplement too. I'm giving you a two, I'm two hour podcast and two deliverables. Guys, Am I not kind? No, I'm just kidding. It's like that one movie with, um, what's that movie? 300 with Xerxes. Is it Xerxes? Is that the dude? He's like, am I not generous? Or something like that. I don't know what he said. It was awesome. Love that movie. Super great. Okay. This week, you folks are getting two things. The first is a silencer review. It's a popular one. And I think a ton of people are going to want to see the data. So you're, you're going to want to buckle up for this one. 
because just 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 book just just wear your seatbelt. The sec the second one is a research supplement for all of you Pew Science members. It's going to contain the new silencer in there and well, new silencer, it's not a new silencer. It's going to contain the new data from the review this week and it's going to have two other silencers in there. It's going to be one of those three-way comparisons. It's going to be interesting. Got some surprises from it personally. I think it's useful for me. So that means it might be useful for you. That's my philosophy on that. That's really all I wanted to say about that stuff right now. It's new. It's coming. You're going to get it this week. You're going to have to wait, but you won't have to wait too long. It'll be out soon. Also, this is something cool. We may or may not. I can, know that I can neither confirm nor deny that we have a lead on testing some Knight's Armament silencers locally. That's right. Pew Science followers coming through in the clutch. Shout out to the gentleman that reached out to me. You know who you are, sir. We don't have to say your name. You're, you're not like that. You know what's up. By the way, if you've reached out in the past with local silencers that are available from your personal inventory, there were a few of you with some OSS, for example, um, a few of you local to me that have OSS silencers that would like me to test them. Um, everyone that everyone has been asking me to test OSS silencers. We we will test OSS silencers. If OSS is listening, you guys can call me. We can talk about that. Um, people are going to bring me your silencers to test. So. Whatever, if we do, I'll call you and talk to you about it. It's cool. I totally call every single manufacturer before I publish a review. So like, just so you know, um, that's like the standard thing if you know what I'm doing here. Look, if any of you guys, I know some of you have emailed me that you're like, hey, I have this OSS silencer. I want you to test my silencer. Look, for a while I've said no, or I've said not right now, or I've said, I'll think about it. What I'm gonna tell you right now is that I might hit you up in the future and I might invite you out for some testing, you consumers. Now, I've given a lot of thought and I think the test, I think testing some of the community silencers from actual owners might be awesome. Might have to work something out with a membership deal or something like that, like, okay. Like do something in return, like besides giving you your data. Like, look, the data is expensive to produce. This is a lot of effort. It's not like I'm gonna just like make one trip just to test your silencer. Like that's not how this is happening, okay? You're gonna come to me, probably. Or maybe I'll go to you, I don't know. We'll talk about it. What I'm trying to say, the data is expensive, but if you're willing to come visit me or something and, and possibly test with me, may, I don't know, maybe you get a free membership for a year or something, I don't know. I don't know. I'll think about it. You know, look, we're not going to have public range days or anything like that right now. That's not in the, that's not happening right now. Don't, don't start thinking that's happening because we're, I'm, I'm not doing that. But, um, eventually, however, you will eventually be able to just mail silencers to Pew Science directly for testing. Okay. Form one silencer testing services will 
I think also be offered. That is something that um, I can't tell you how many people ask me about that regularly. I'm going to try to make it happen. There's been a lot of interest. I think I need to do it for the community. Um, I don't think I need to do it right now, but I think it's something that enough people are interested in where it's going to help people. And I'm all about helping people and I'm all about helping the state of practice. So I think we can start doing that maybe. And, you know, look, there are, there are a lot of things coming, man, for Pew Science. Some of it's coming more slowly than you would like. Some of it's coming more slowly than I would like. But hey, you got to be patient. Okay, I've been patient. It's going to be worth it. I, I, I'm telling you this stuff to be transparent with you. I'm giving you future plans and announcements here to like give you some behind the curtain thoughts. Is it all going to happen right away? Is it all going to happen at all? Hey, you never know what life, life can throw you lemons. You try your best to make lemonade. Okay, we're going to do our best. Topic five, Pew Science is growing. This is something that's really, man, I almost get a little emotional talking about this. It makes me so happy. Pew Science is growing, and I tell you what, the membership is loyal, and you're aggressive. And that's, that's just how I like it. <laughs> it's like, that's what she said type of thing, you know what I'm saying? Look, some heavy social media traffic lately. Um, and it's, it's really great to see that. It's a little overwhelming sometimes for me. I'm not used to that, especially when like super, super big names endorse Pew Science. It makes me feel kind of weird sometimes because I'm like, dude, like that's, that's weird. I don't necessarily like, uh, it, it takes me out of my comfort zone a little bit, I will say. Um, I don't know if that's healthy or not. It's fine. It is marketing. I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on, on what that means, like how to use it. Um, some really big accounts have started following us on social media, like really big ones, like some like YouTube channels that have like m literally millions of follow of like subscribers, like those guys have been like privately communicating with me too. Um, that's something that is weird, but that is good, I think. And the reason I give you these updates on Pew Science like membership growing and like marketing type of things is because a lot of you are contributing to Pew Science. And so I feel like if you're contributing to a research cooperative, you should know the process of how the research cooperative is marketing itself to the public at large and how that information is being interpreted by its owner, me. And so like, I want to like kind of give you that background and I think you guys find this information useful. If you don't, let me know. We don't have to talk about this anymore, but I find it interesting and I, I, it, it does give you a little bit of background about how like things are working um, corporately, I, I guess I would say. And so I think that's very transparent and in the spirit of transparency, that's why I'm sharing this information with you. Now, some really awesome manufacturers and when I say manufacturers, I talk about silencer manufacturers. Some really awesome silencer manufacturers are reaching out and are accepting our invitation for outreach. Like where like I've reached out to them and then like they responded to me. Like some, some of them very recently, some of them in the past. I did want to shout some of them out right now publicly 
because I think it, I think it's worth mentioning these guys or girls. It's, it's worth mentioning these companies because not, okay, look, not all of them are on the same level of cooperation with P-Science, but all of them have like at least a little bit of a dialogue. And there are some I can't mention just because like there's no reason I would mention them to the point of like they don't have a public, like they're never, like they're pursuing private testing that they would not, like they're not ready to talk. But like a lot of these other ones are like, they're like, I either know them or like they, people have seen me interact with them publicly too, so they understand. So like the ones I wanted to shout out were like Science or Co, Surefire, YHM, Rugged, Q, Energetic Armament, CGS, Liberty Precision Machine, Wedgetail Industries, they're in Australia, crazy, GSL, KG Made, Bowers. Okay? And there's some others I can't name, but um, all these, all these, the, these major companies are like super cool to me right now um talking with me about stuff and you guys know who you are like i don't have to mention people's names from those companies like i've talked to everyone from some of the some of them i've, I've spoken with the owners some of them i've spoken with their r d groups some of them i've just spoken with their marketing people and you know from top to bottom i mean do i know the ins and outs of all these companies no Certainly not. Um, do I take pride in that they've wanted to entertain a dialogue with me or allowed that to happen? Absolutely. And so um, th that's not an uh, that's not an endorsement list by any means. I'm, I'm not endorsing these companies. Like that's not what I do. But it is to tell you the scope of Pew Science is growing to the point where. Um, we're getting bigger, which means that more people are noticing us, which means that more things can happen. And so that is information that you can use how you wish. Um, I've had some very detailed conversations with a lot of these manufacturers and each one of them, look, each one of them is either taking the time to speak with me seriously about Pew Science R&D or has been open to great dialogue and it warms my heart. Look. You might think that people on that list are enemies. And uh, I'm here to tell you, there are some major manufacturers on that list that do share an interest in at least some of the stuff that Pew Science is doing, so we must be doing something right. Um, I've talked to some of these manufacturers about the fact that I want to unite some of the industry here, and uh, a lot of the manufacturers laugh at me when I say that, and that's fine. Um, I'm not telling you that's my mission, but I am telling you that like, it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen. And so, um, look, not everyone is going to have the same involvement with Pew Science, and I don't care. It's totally fine, but I am building this company to help manufacturers and the industry. And so the more folks we have, we interact with, the better. That is my opinion. That is, look, I'm being super transparent here. You know my stance. So, okay, that's the first thing. The secondly... Secondly, I did want to say, I wanted to thank new Pew Science members that have joined since the last podcast, which was two weeks ago. It's been a while. Um, the number is awesome. And man, there was actually a guy 
who I've spoken with for many months on Instagram. This just happened yesterday. We we talk about silencers all the time, he, he and I. And out of the blue yesterday, during one of our talks, he, he's, he happened to be, what was he? Yeah, he happened to be talking about his 5.56 silencer choice. I think, I believe he was picking a 30 caliber silencer for use on 5.56. And he was, he had some questions about the data, about the, the 308 data we had published. And he was going back and forth. And we had talked about some, oh, we, we talked about flash and some information that I hadn't tested flash, but I knew about some things that he needed to think about if he was going to use the night vision with the silencer. There was a, oh no, we, we went deep, which is typical for my conversations with people when we really get into it. And so, um, somewhere in the conversation, he was like, Hey, like I'm about to join Pew Science with an annual membership contribution. And I was like, Whoa, dude, holy crap. I did not expect that. Man, we had just been talking about science or stuff. I'd be giving him a hit of advice, but then it occurred to me, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's useful to him. Look, here's the thing. I really do like interacting with people. Chances are, if you message me, I'm going to respond. And I'm going to do so meaningfully. I'm not going to ignore you. I, do, I don't do that. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not wired like that. It's very hard for me to ignore people unless they're like, like a really bad person to me or something. But like people are usually friendly because I'm friendly. So that's pretty cool. Now, sometimes I'm busy and sometimes I can't get to every question right away, but I generally will shoot straight with you and not be too late to respond if I can help it. And so if you do ever have a question, don't be shy, reach out to me. Never feel obligated to join Pew Science though. Like, I don't want you to think like that I'm trying to push that on you because I'm not and I never do. And you're never going to see me do that. So don't think that. But do feel obligated to ask questions. Um, that's why I'm here. It's education. And so it would be dumb for me not to answer questions because like it would be like so, to me it would be boring if I didn't answer your questions. Like I get a kick at Like I get personal enjoyment out of it. So like that's just how, the type of person I am. So... Look, if you would, if you would, however, like to support us in a monetary way, if that's your thing, if you feel like you want to do that, and if you want to support this podcast and you want to support Pew Science testing, if you want to um, support further development of the suppression rating, basically, if you want to support everything Pew Science does, you can join with a membership at pewscience.com. It's a relatively small monthly subscription. And you can cancel it anytime. It's like it's not like a contract or anything. Um, in return for your support, um, I give you some more data that you ordinarily would not get for free, like the public doesn't get. And then also um, the members-only content. It, it, it's fairly technical, but the feedback has been good so far. And so I think folks are liking it, and we're looking to improve that always. So if members have any feedback, that's cool. Um, we are quantifying the tone of silencers. I know folks have been asking about that. Our members do get that. It's not straightforward. Um, some of it's up for interpretation due to the fact that some human ears are not the same, but we use the 95th percentile human ear because um, that's like we don't have your individual hearing data yet. Um, I think, I'm thinking about actually doing hearing tests on people. It's a whole another topic of a, topic of a podcast. Um, 
so yeah, you you can't get what we're doing anywhere else. And so members see less ads too. Like that's another benefit of joining. So that's nice if you're if you don't like ads, uh, you know, something like that. Now, if you enjoy this, if you enjoyed this long podcast that I did, um, please give us a five star rating on iTunes. That will help. It will actually, and that doesn't cost you anything. It will help the ranking algorithm, and that helps Pew Science exposure. So that gives us more testing opportunities. It fuels more data collection. And then it gives you more content to read, even the people for free. You don't even have to join us to to read it. All the reviews are free. And so, yeah, keep the questions coming. And I will talk to you folks again soon. I cannot wait to, man, I can't wait to show you more data this week. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your week. And we just hit two hours. So I'm out. (laughs) Bye, guys.